Dallas Willard, author, theologian, philosopher. He taught philosophy at the University of Southern California, and he at one point was asked, how would you describe Jesus in one word? He paused and he thought about it for a moment, and his response surprised some people. He said, relaxed. Maybe the expectation of the answer would be loving or gentle or humble, all things that were true of Him. But if we're to be like Jesus, does relaxed describe you? Several years ago, this is before Jossie and I moved with our boys to Fort Collins to plant Mill City. We were in Colorado Springs, and on our fridge we had one of those magnets. Maybe you've seen one or you have one. It was kind of long, and on it were different faces, and, and maybe a word underneath it that would describe an emotion or a, a feeling. And then there's this little magnet that was like you could move around, and you could put it over that particular uh, emotion or face for the day or whatever. So Jossie and I decided, hey, boys, uh, how would you describe mom? And so they found the, they took the little square and they put it over stressed. And then they said, how about dad? And they took the thing and they put it over busy. It didn't just, relaxed was not what they thought of when they thought of me and Jossie. Several years ago, there was a study done on several redwood trees and the trees go dormant for a season, and so they decided they were going to try see what happened if they injected a form of adrenaline into the trees so that they, they just continued to grow and didn't stop for this little dormancy season. And all of the trees died within a year. They eroded from the inside out. I wonder how many of us in this room are living on adrenaline. I wonder how many of us are addicted to speed. Not the drug, at least I hope not, but... And I wonder if we're eroding from the inside out. We're in a Sabbath that are actually finished, excuse me, in a series that we're actually ending today called Practice Slowing. And we're talking about what it looks like to have the right pace, a pace that is sustainable, a pace that matches with what we're, our limits are and what we're supposed to do. We started the series by talking about Sabbath and how God built into the rhythm of creation and into the need for human flourishing a weekly day to stop. Today is our all-church Sabbath, first ever all-church Sabbath. I hope that if you're maybe new to that idea for us today, you're like, oh, what, do I, what does that mean? Uh, that you would take the rest of the day and fill it with things that bring joy and delight, people, and maybe you have a longer lingering meal around something that's kind of a, a favorite meal and maybe takes a little bit of time to make or a little bit of time to eat and to slow down and enjoy and laugh. Maybe you take a holy nap this afternoon. <laughs> maybe you don't do the dishes, but somehow at the end of the day you experience Maybe a slowness, but also a joy and a depth of satisfaction and fulfillment. We also talked about solitude. Solitude about a daily rhythm where we're, we're slipping away and spending some intentional time to be in the presence of God, experience His delight, and hopefully also delight in God in that moment of kind of 
pause, a daily pause. So we talk about this, this weekly pause and this daily pause, but what about the rest of the week? Does it mean that we do those pauses, but the other aspects of our life are running at a breakneck speed? That we're living on adrenaline or at a frenetic pace? The reality is, we talked about this last week, is that the goal for all of our lives, every aspect of our week or days, is that we travel at the pace of love, which does not mean that we are idle or lazy or we don't do anything and actually find that Sabbath is most fulfilling when we work hard throughout a week. But James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits, says we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. In other words, our goal may be like, hey, I want to live at a slower, more sustainable pace, but if we don't have a system built in to bring that about, we're going to have a hard time. And so God has given us a bit of a rhythm in the weekly Sabbath and in the daily solitude, but how do we also build it in or build a system into our lives so that we walk and move at the right pace? I want to talk about three different things that will help us to do that. Number one is we align our priorities with God's. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus has a priority of what He's going to do. He's going to do what the Father does. I wonder if we were to read that, we might say, and I only do what my neighbor does. And I only do what I see happening on Instagram. Or are we saying, I only do what Jesus does? Are we walking in step with Jesus? Several years ago, Jossie was in a conversation with some some friends or a family of our our boys, and they... uh, this family had, was in traveling club soccer and had been for years. And, and so it was not just for a season, but it was 365 days a year. And it was travel and it was money and it was practice and it was constant. And in the conversation, the mom said, not too long ago, we made a change because we, we realized or we asked the question, what are we doing He said, we had climbed a ladder and we're doing quite well, but we realized we climbed a ladder and we're at the top of the ladder, but realized it was leaning against the wrong wall. In other words, this is what our whole life had become about, but it wasn't what we valued most. In the first couple of centuries, there was the desert fathers and the desert fathers came up with the seven, what we know today as the seven deadly sins, seven vices that can grab a hold of the human heart. One of them is the vice of sloth. If you've ever studied a sloth animal, the animal, the sloth, it is quite fascinating, the amount of lack of movement it has and how slowly it moves. And so sometimes, especially because of the animal, we think of being slothful as like not moving and hitting the snooze button a hundred times and being lazy and not being active. And that can be an aspect of sloth. But sloth actually also has a broader, wider definition, and that is being active in things that don't matter. So, so you can be very busy and very active and still be engaging in the vice of sloth. 
if it's about things that aren't important. Wendy Wasserstein in her book Sloth said, Sloth is progress made on a, on a treadmill. And so what we have to do as followers of Jesus is to check our desires against our values. In other words, we might say, I value time with my kids and developing deeper relationships with them. But your schedule reflects a lot of golf. You might value deep friendships and maybe even say, I don't have very deep friends, but I know that I need them. But your schedule reflects Netflix Netflix binges and video games. Your desire might be a growing relationship with God, and so, but when you find yourself in a place of solitude, you actually find yourself scrolling instead of sitting in silence in His presence. I read a book recently called Wanting, and he talks in this book about the different types of desires that we have, and he con- compares and contrasts thick and thin desires. Thin desires being more like, oh, I want ice cream today. But a thick desire might have something more to do with uh, healthy living. Some sort of conviction. And a conviction should monitor our thin, daily, whimsical desires, which may or may not play into our thick desires. Jesus describes this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. When he uses the word pagans, we might think of that in an almost derogatory term, but in the first century it was not. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The kingdom of God, just for definition's sake, if you haven't heard us talk about that around here, is what it looks like when Jesus is in charge. Seek first a world, your world, that looks like a world where Jesus is in charge, which means that it's going to be about peace and joy. It's going to be about going at a pace, at the pace of love. It's going to be not just about the absence of conflict, but about shalom, the word that that better encapsulates peace, and that is that it, it's about wholeness and things being right. And Jesus teaches us that freedom isn't found in having and doing, but in keeping God and His will first. And we find this expressed in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is asked by His disciples, how should we pray? And within that prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which of course would be a contrast to our natural prayer, which is my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is faced with this exact prayer and the reality of this in his own life when he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he ends up going to the cross. And he's saying, God, is there any other way? And at the end of his time of prayer with the Father, he says, not my will, but your will be done. That we would align our will, our priorities with God's. Which means that we have to kill the idol of our will. Which is difficult in a world that worships individualism and says our desires are the ultimate truth. So we might need to do things like join the lift team if you're not already part of it. 
because it's not always convenient to serve. To participate in a Serve Saturday or serve alongside the Fort Collins Rescue Mission or tutor a student at Lincoln Middle School. Why? Because it gets us out of ourselves and thinking not just about our needs and our wants and our desires, but it starts getting us thinking about someone else's needs, wants, and desires. Secondly, we need to embrace simplicity. Now you might say, what does simplicity have to do with slowing? I read a book on minimalism in preparation for this series, and in this book and some other resources, they talk a lot about the, maybe a, a, the, the lack of awareness about the energy and time that comes with owning more and more things. In other words, you buy something, and the amount of time that it takes to clean it, to store it, to maintain it, to repair it, to enjoy it, is oftentimes not thought of when it's purchased. And so what ends up happening is that you buy things and own things, but they end up owning you because they end up filling your schedule. And in order to maintain or clean up or repair or whatever the case might be, it overloads your schedule and contributes to the busyness and the speed of our lives. Richard Foster in his book Celebration of Discipline says, In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. If we're going to embrace simplicity, it needs to start in our hearts. We can, in other words, we can simplify our lives or be a minimalist, but if we don't have a simplicity of heart in our focus towards God, we are going to miss it. But in order for us to resist the cultural temptation towards accumulation, we're going to have to take it a step further and resist materialism, which is to resist the lie that having more will generate a greater well-being. Meaning that we have to resist the lie that there's just one more product and I'll be more safe or more acceptable. The question that our culture trains us to ask is, how can I get more? The early church desert fathers and mothers trained themselves to ask the question, what can I live without? How can I live with less? Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Modern marketing says you are missing something and you need it to be happy. But kingdom economics says I have more than enough and the more I give, the more I have. Jenny Holzer, an artist who used words to provoke and to in some ways display as art, put this in Times Square. Protect me from what I want which is very ironic in maybe the epicenter of the universe of advertising and the, and the stimulation to need and buy and purchase. Protect us from our wants because maybe our wants are deceptive and will erode our souls. Psalm chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 in the message paraphrase of the Bible says, Why is everyone hungry for more? More and more, they say, more and more. I have God's more than enough, more joy in one ordinary day. I wonder if you'd be able or willing 
to go one month without buying something unnecessary. Like buy food, pay your water bill, pay mortgage or rent, like necessities. But what if you don't shop? You don't buy anything, you don't Amazon something to your house, you, you just go with what you've got. And anytime you have the impulse, say, do I really need this? Jossie sometimes will come to me and, and bring something home. Look what I got. It's 70% off. And I say, if you didn't buy it, it was 100% off. If we're going to embrace simplicity in order to slow down, we have to kill the idol of more is better. Which is difficult in a, worship, in a world that worships upward mobility and says the more we have, the happier we are. So what if you did eliminate some things? So we align our priorities with God's, we embrace simplicity, and lastly, we create margin. Do we have any time optimists in the room? I'm a recovering time optimist. If you're unfamiliar with the term, a time optimist is somebody who says, I can do more in the time that I have than is probably realistic. And, and you could if everything went ideally, right? Like no traffic. Like the, the, the meeting doesn't go one minute longer than what you planned. If, if there's no interruptions. If everything goes exactly without any bumps or hiccups. I found that that never happens. The main reason, though, that I started to push into my time optimism and try to become a time realist and create margin is because I realized how irritable I was. When I had too much on my plate and not enough margin, I was irritable. Ask Jossie. Actually, don't. <laughs> but it's true. I was short. I was curt in my responses. Why? I don't have time for that. No, please don't bother me. Don't interrupt me. I got things to do. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. And I would wonder how many of us in this room have no space between our load and our limits, which means we're either on the verge of or overloaded. If you're like, well, I don't know if I have margin or lot. This is the litmus test. Can you be interrupted? What happens if a coworker interrupts you? Can you be interrupted by your kids? Can you be interrupted by your spouse or your roommate or classmate? If you read the Gospels, the vast majority of Jesus' miracles happen in interruptions. Jesus one time is preaching or teaching with a bunch of people around him, so much so that the house is packed and somebody tears the roof off or a portion of the roof and lowers somebody down. That is an interruption. That would be very disruptive if I was preaching like this and all of a sudden some roof starts to fall in. Jesus is on his way to places and gets interrupted. Jesus has meals with people and is interrupted. And it is in those moments that he doesn't say, get out of here. I don't have time for you. But he always has time. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have a schedule. It doesn't mean that you can't have an appointment that you need to make. But do you have a little bit of margin in there? Do you have time to even just give a moment and say, I would love to hear more about this, but, so let me call you a bit later. Sometimes we don't even have that. James chapter 1, James was the brother of Jesus. He says in his letter in verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen. You ever find yourself in a place where you might say, I don't have time to listen. If that is the case, if that's the case most of the time, you're too busy. You're going too fast. Now, there is a good busy. I don't want anybody to hear in the midst of this that we shouldn't have a full plate or be, be full of things to do. There is a good busy, and that is when your plate is full and you, and you, and you, you, you maximize your time. But there is an unhealthy busy. And unhealthy busy happens when you have the same amount of time, but you add more things that are possible in that amount of time. Therefore, what you do, you try to do faster. And usually what happens when we try to do things faster is they aren't done as well. We aren't open to interruptions, and we don't have time for them to go wrong. And can turn into what's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is described by Paul Jensen in his book, Subversive Spirituality, when there isn't enough time to do everything, the pressure to do things faster becomes severe and chronic, changing one's personality and lifestyle. I like to do DIY stuff around my house. I grew up with a construction dad, and so I know enough to be dangerous. And and so whenever there's a project of some sort or another, um, for the longest time, I thought, this will take an hour. And you know what it took? Three hours or days. <laughs> now I've come to have, be more realistic. Not always right, but I try and triple the time. That's probably about right. Whatever I think, triple it, and that's about, it's going to be close. Why? Because if I think it's going to take an hour when it actually takes three, you know what those last two, two hours are? Exceptionally frustrating. And I'm like mad at the process and mad at myself for not doing this faster and mad at anybody else that interrupts me. Is the accelerator of your life stuck to the floor? Do you have space to love your neighbor? Are you, as I read in one book, unlovingly efficient? Meaning you get a lot done, but you're not very pleasant to be around. Does love get in the way? Do you find yourself time poor? What happens when you get in the line at the store where the person two spots ahead of you causes the line to come to a complete halt because they're, they're paying with Beads. <laughs> do you feel like you're going to pull your hair out? Or do you have actually some compassion? If we are going to create margin in our lives to be interrupted and to be able to love and listen well, we have to kill the idol of efficiency. Now, efficiency is not bad, but when it becomes an idol... It is. This is exceptionally difficult in a world that worships productivity and says you are what you achieve. You are what you do. And if you're not doing anything, who are you? I was talking to somebody recently who said, you know, it scares me to slow down. It scares me to, to maybe have nothing to do. I said, oh, how come? 
And she said, I'm afraid of that I don't know what, who I am if I'm not busy doing something. Now, understand that fear. And yet, I think that's part of the gift of coming into a space like that, is that God draws up and brings to the surface things that He wants to heal in us. That in our slowing down, it can be a place of healing. A place to say, you are more than what you do. You are valuable, even if you're not producing. That God is interested in you being, not just doing. And if we can somehow come to those scary places, to let the things arise when we don't have busyness and production to distract us, can lead to a more healed, secure, and rested soul. So our weekly practice is a few things. First, it's to identify our priorities. I would hope that if you're a follower of Jesus, that we would say, I want to do like Jesus said, I want to do what my father did. I want to do what Jesus does and did. Or we'd say, the kingdom of God, I seek first the kingdom of God. That might be what we say, but I think what, I want us to be honest with ourselves and say, but does my schedule in my life reflect that being my, my value? Are those really my priorities? Secondly is to give away 50 things in your house from your home. Now some of you are like, I don't own 50 things. Yes, you do. Go look in your closet. It might be kitchen cupboards or cabinets or drawers. It might be in your closet or in the garage. But chances are you do. And ask yourself, or think about giving away something you haven't worn in a year or more. Or get rid of the things that you just say, you know what, I don't love these. Maybe somebody else will. Maybe for some of you, I want to challenge some of you. Some, for some of you, it might be a big thing. Like something that's requiring a lot of maintenance or care or time. I think this can be a good exercise with our kids. Cleaning up toys takes time. Maybe they need fewer toys. And then lastly, drive in the slow lane this week. And if there's no slower lane, don't drive above the speed limit. Not even by one mile an hour. I heard that groan. <laughs> Why? Because we want to see. These are, these are a bit provoking type practices this week. To, to evoke an emotion. See what comes up. I know that when I have no margin and I'm driving in the slow lane or driving behind somebody who's slower or somebody who gets in my way as I'm on my way to try to get there on time because I'm late. I'm like, no, get out of my way. But if I have margin and they get in front of me, I'm like, oh, you must not have any margin today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Take your time. It's no problem. I'm good. Right? We see and we live with more compassion than if we, our margin is gone. So can you drive in the slow lane? Can you embrace simplicity by starting to just get rid of 50 things? Give them away. Identify our priorities. 
Jesus in his in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 11 he makes an invitation and he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest anybody here today if you're honest about the state of your soul you are so tired exhausted and as you hear those words, you think, yes, I, I so desperately want that. I so desperately want to be at rest. So desperately want to be at peace. So desperately need to, don't want to be so frenetic. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this word yoke, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is one of the meanings, and that is like a, a yoke that binds two animals together, like two oxen that are plowing a field. So we, we yoke together with Jesus. But the other is that in the first century, a yoke was referred to the teachings and the way and the lifestyle of a rabbi. And so Jesus says, take my yoke, take my way of living upon you, Learn from me, he says, and I will give you rest. So take my teaching, my way, my lifestyle. He doesn't say take my doctrine. He takes my way of living. Take the way that I do everything upon you, and I will give you rest. And I will give you an uncluttered life, an uncluttered soul, and a non-anxious I love this same passage out of the message. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? When he talks about religion, he's talking about performance, earning. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The invitation is for each and every one of us today. For some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You've known Jesus. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. But I wonder if there aren't some in this room who would say, I, I've gotten so busy that I haven't slipped away with Jesus in a long time. And the invitation for you is, come away with me. Put the work down. Put the busyness down. Come spend time with me. Learn from me. For others of you, maybe you find yourself here in church after kind of maybe trying to do it on your own and find, you know what, I'm, I find myself more anxious and more frenetic and traveling at a speed that's unsustainable and I, I, need, I need this. I need to come home. I need to follow the way of Jesus. I need to not follow my will and way. I need to follow Jesus and His will and way. Or maybe... You find yourself in church for the first time or, or maybe you're at a place where you'd say, I've never 
I've never said to Jesus, I want to follow your will and way. Today might be your day to respond to that invitation and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to not go my way. I want to go your way. I don't want to live according to my own desires. I want to live according to your will and your priorities. And if that's you here today, just praying, Jesus, I want to follow you. It's the most important decision you could ever make. He will lead you into life. It doesn't mean the life is going to be easy, but he will lead you into a life flourishing, full of abundance. If you're here today and maybe you're like, you know what, I'm interested in that, but I have a bunch of questions still. God welcomes your questions, so do we. We have a course called Alpha. I want to encourage you to participate in it as a way of exploring those questions. Wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you've walked with God for, for decades or you've walked with God for weeks or days, I want to take a moment and let's, I want to pray for everybody in this room. Father, we need you. And we thank you that you have designed us and designed us to live in this world in such a way that we're not overloaded and exhausted, but Instead, that we lean into and live into the reality of our limits and lean into and live into the reality of what you've called us to. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to lean into and live into the rhythm of Sabbath and solitude and learn to live and travel through every aspect of our lives at the speed of love. So help us, God to not just identify our priorities in idea, but to identify our priorities in schedule. Help us, God, to simplify our lives, to eliminate the things and the clutter, whether it be physical or whether it be internally. And God, I pray that you would also help us to create margin, space for interruption, space so that we're we're able to love our neighbor well. Help us to kill the idol of our will. Help us to kill the idol of more is better. Help us to kill the idol of efficiency so that we can live into the reality of your kingdom and so that we might reflect your goodness and your life, your hope, your peace, your shalom into the world. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said... Amen.